Good morning, Crossroads. It's good to be with you again. And uh, I do want to welcome those of you who are watching via live stream. Uh, this week is National Day of Prayer on Thursday. And uh, so I just want to remind you that we got some prayer opportunities that are coming up. Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've been uh, listening to different pastors around the country, around the world that are talking about what is going on in our world. And I was listening to this one man from Australia, and he, was talk- he went on a sabbatical last year, and he talking about um, that he studied during his sabbatical just revivals throughout church history. And there was four things that he found that revivals had in common. And one of those things was prayer. And not just people gathering for prayer, but people beginning to realize that nothing is going to change without a move of God. And so they began to cry out to God in prayer. The kind of prayer where people are desperate for something more. God is stirring in me and has been doing that over the last year. More and more the realization that there is really nothing that I have to offer anybody. That only Jesus is the answer. And that apart from a move of God, we're not going to see any change in our world. So I invite you to join with us either tomorrow night at our prayer time, 7 o'clock, or Thursday at noon at Lakeside Park with the rest of the community as we pray, or Thursday evening at 6.30 here. It's our leadership night, and so we're doing an extended worship and prayer time from 6.30 to 8, and so we want to invite you to join us for that. We started last Sunday a new series called The Power of And, and we're looking at chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 in 1 Corinthians. The church in Corinth had reached out to Paul because they were dealing with some issues. Go figure, right? And so Paul responds by writing them a letter. In this section, Paul is beginning to deal with some attitudes and some conduct that was happening while the people were gathering together for worship. As I shared last week, for me, the theme verse, so to speak, in this section is chapter 14, verse 1, and the Jewish Bible puts it this way, pursue love, however, keep on eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit, and especially seek to be able to prophesy. Most of your translations probably say something like, pursue love and eagerly seek the gifts of the Spirit, especially that you prophesy. And what I pointed out last week is that little, con- that little conjunction and right in the middle is a powerful word in that it helps us see that we are to pursue love and earnestly desire the things of the Spirit. And the reason why I like this translation where it says eagerly seeking the things of the Spirit 
more than some of the other translations where it says, eagerly seek the gifts of the Spirit is because, if you remember from last week, um, the literal translation in the Greek does not have the word for gifts in it. It just says, and eagerly desire spiritual. So we have this adjective without a noun to describe. So my thought is, maybe it's, it is seeking spiritual gifts, but maybe it's so much more. Today and over the next few weeks, as we talk about gathering together for worship, I can let you know ahead of time that I'm going to challenge you on some of your belief system. It's recognizing that all of us read the Bible with filters, whether that filter is our culture, the culture we bring, you know, grew up in. We read the Bible with a Western mindset. The Bible was written in an Eastern mindset in the first century. We're in the 21st century. It's recognizing that we have filters by where we live. We're more in a small town, rural, conservative area. And we look and see the Bible differently than those in the urban, more liberal mindset. But whether we have these filters or not, it's not a bad thing. It's just important that we recognize that it's important for us to question those filters. One of the things I've mentioned here before is that when you're reading the Bible, when you're studying the Bible, context is king. You can't just take a verse out of the Bible you, and just go, this is what it means. I mean, that's what a lot of us do. In fact, there's so many times I'm reading a book or listening to a preacher and they quote a verse and I go and I read the context around the verse and I go, yeah, that's not really what that verse is saying. <laughs> so we have to look at not just the verse, we have to look at the passage that is in the chapter, even the book and the Bible as a whole, and we need to reflect on the fact that I mentioned before, we're in a different culture than the Bible was written. So today we are going to look at the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 11, and there's a lot here to say, and so I'm going to do the best that we can cover, and so I've titled the message today, The Head of question mark. And the reason why I title it the head of question mark is because uh, we, we have different views on what it means to be the head of, the head in the body. And so today I want to just kind of teach a little bit about the different views and how they are different and what are maybe some things we can take away from it. So our text today is 1 Corinthians 11, 1 through 3, and you can either follow on the screen or turn your Bible to chapter 11, 1 through 3. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now I commend you because you remember me in everything and maintain the traditions even as I have delivered them to you. 
But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now as we dive into these verses and continue next week with kind of part two of these verses and into verses uh, um, 5 through 16, um, it seems like Paul is being asked about head coverings, and we'll see that in the other verses. And so we have to understand that what Paul is talking about is when they gather together, what do they do about head coverings? And so to help him in talking about that issue, he talks about this metaphor, this picture of Christ, the head of every man, the husband, the head of the wife, and God, the head of Christ. It seems pretty simple, right? Especially if we pull these verses right out of here and just take them right in these two verses or three verses, it seems pretty simple. But it creates in me some questions. And I think it's important for us to ask questions whenever we're reading the Bible. Because you see, part of asking questions is part of us thinking critically. And part of asking questions is helping us to get out of our own filters to maybe come to a fuller understanding of what the passage is saying. Questions like, what is a metaphor? That's what these are. How are they used in the Bible? And what does it mean to be head of? And is there a difference between what we think and what they thought back then in the first century? Important questions. Parents, these are the kind of questions that you should be encouraging your kids to ask because they need to learn to think critically about Scripture. Teens, ask questions. If you don't understand something, if something doesn't make sense, ask. Ask your parents or ask your youth leader. Matthew has all the answers. So what's a metaphor? In the dictionary, a metaphor is, is defined as a thing regarded as a representative or symbol, symbol of something else, especially something abstract. So it's this thing, and it represents this other thing over here symbolically, especially abstract things. So, for example, Jesus is the bread of life. The symbol is bread. Jesus is not really bread. It's an abstract character of who Jesus is. Jesus is trying to, or the Bible's trying to explain who Jesus is and what he brings to the world. And so Jesus is described as the bread of life. Biblical metaphors are statements of truth. But they are 
true metaphorically, not literally. Another example, Jesus says in John 10, I am the door. Seriously? Jesus is the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. So metaphorically, it is absolutely true. This symbol, this picture, Jesus is a door. A way to salvation. Jesus is not literally a door. This this is important because sometimes we can get lost in the discussion. So, and people don't really do this with this, Jesus is the door, but all of a sudden you could get lost in, well, is he a screen door? Is he a hollow corridor? Maybe he's a garage door. Is, it a, a, is there a garage door attaching to this door? I know it sounds stupid, maybe, and foolish, but sometimes we take metaphors and we try to take them to places where they're never intended to go. Author C.S. Lewis had this to say about metaphors. Events on a historical level are the sort of things we can talk about literally, for they are perceived by the senses of men. In other words, if you can see it, if you can touch it, if you can smell it, then you can literally describe it. He goes on to say, but the truth is that if we are going to talk about, talk at all about things which are not perceived by the senses, we are forced to use language metaphorically. In other words, this here is a podium, literally. You can see it. You hear me pounding it. I am touching it. Jesus is the bread of life. Can't see it, can't touch it, can't smell it. Metaphors help us gain an understanding of things that are sometimes hard to comprehend. Paul says in verse 3 that we just read, he says, I want you to understand. And the Greek word here for understand means to perceive or to see. So it's in other words, it's like Paul is saying, I want you to understand, I want you to see, before we get into this conversation about wearing head coverings, I want you to see what it means for someone to be the head of. So as we talk this morning about the head of, it's important for us to remember that this is a metaphor. Paul is using it to describe something, but not in a literal sense. So I'm going to ask my wife Terry to come up here. She's going to help me with something. Just to get get you a picture in your mind. Paul says that the husband, that's me, is the head of the wife. Isn't that nice? 
Now, I know you'd rather see that head than this head because that one's much better looking. Thank you. Everybody give Terry. I just wanted to give you just that picture because sometimes we can take these metaphors and, and like the door, we can go, yeah, that's silly if we go too far somewhere with it. But what does it mean that, the, that Christ is the head of every man? What is Paul trying to say? Now, as we dive into this, I want you to understand something. There are books and commentaries galore talking about this. In fact, you'll have somebody write a book about this whole headship thing and the relationship between a husband and wife and Christ and the church and all of that kind of stuff. And they'll publish it and send it out. Then you get another person that will publish a rebuttal to that book and they literally say, this is a critique of so-and-so's book. And around and around and around it goes. We could do a six or eight week class on just this topic. But today, I'm, I, for me, I, I like to keep things simple. I like the KISS mindset. Keep it simple, stupid. So I want to try to do is get out from the trees and get above and take a look and say, kind of say, okay, what is Paul trying to communicate? There are three main views regarding the meaning of head of, which is the Greek word kafali. The first two are authority and source. Authority meaning to be chief of or to be a person of highest rank. So just like the owner of a business has authority over his employees. So too, Paul, if, if authority is our translation or our understanding, then you could say then that Christ is the authority of every man, the husband, the authority of the wife, and God is the authority of Christ. Now, that works. And there's good theology around authority. There are some issues if you dive into and ask some of the right questions. Like, is God the authority of Christ for all of eternity? Or just while he was on earth? That changes everything. I'm not going to dive into that right now because that would be another hour. The second um, view is source. And so this is conveying a relational sense. Christ is the source of every man's existence. The husband is the source of the wife and from the rib. I mean, that's kind of where it comes, what most who believe that source is it. It's the husband is the source of the wife because he gave of his rib. God is the source of Christ. Again, the question you have to ask is that for all eternity or just while well, Christ was on earth. 
Both of these, scholar, good scholarship is behind both views. Your worldview will get you to lean one way or the other. And as different scholars have studied this, one of them, Wayne Grudem, did a research of 2,336 examples of kafali, or head, in Greek literature from the first century, both the Bible and outside of the Bible. Grudem was trying to figure out which was used most. Well, what he found out is that only two times of that 2,336 was it used in the sense of source. Hmm. That's telling. Pay attention. Notice. But what he also find it, found is that of that 2,336, only 49 times was it used as authority. So definitely a lot more, but... Nowhere near the 2,336. The other 2,287 times it is used either metaphorically or literally as head. Just, just head. It's important to notice that too. The problem for us is that when we try to convert biblical metaphors into clear-cut definitions, when we really try to hone it down to one thing, we can demystify the mystery behind the metaphor. Jesus is the bread of life. There's a lot there. Let's not try and hone it down to what does that one literally mean? Let's, what, what does that mean? Let's, let's take on the bigger picture. As we think of Christ is the head of every man and the husband the head of the wife and God the head of Christ, let, let us remember this, that... In Ephesians 5, when Paul is talking about marriage, marriages and the relationship between the husband and the wife, and he relates that to the relationship between Christ and the church, his body, he describes it as a mystery. Maybe we're trying too hard to figure out what it means to be the head, and we're not understanding with the broader, bigger picture of it means to be the head. Because this metaphor describes the relationship between Christ and man and God and Christ, it has an impact on your view or our view of the Trinity. This is where it goes. People are talking about this relationship, and now goes to how does the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit interact with each other in the Trinity, and how you view this head, whether it's authority or source or something else, will impact how you view the Trinity. Let me show you. There are three basic views of the Trinity. 
The first one is a hierarchical order. I can say that. It's three equal persons. Let me emphasize that. Equal persons ranked in a hierarchy. The simple description of this view is this. The Father leads, the Son submits. If you see that the head is about authority, you're going to lean more to this view of the Trinity. Again, the question that comes out of this, the Father leads, the Son submits, is this for all eternity? Or is it just for when Jesus walked this earth? For those who hold this view of the Trinity, they have taken it to be all of eternity. The second view of the Trinity is a reciprocal view. It's three equal persons again, but the relationship is reciprocal. The, the difference being it's not hierarchy, it's not the Father leading, the Son submitting. It is in a reciprocal relationship, working hand in hand together, recognizing that when the Son was on the earth, the Son was subordinate to the Father. If you have more of a source view of the definition of head, you're going to lean more towards this view of the Trinity. The third view of the Trinity is perichoresis. That's a big word, right? Again, it's three equal persons, but perichoresis, I worked on that a bunch and I'm still hammering it. It's all about this dance. It's a compound word, and it's all about dancing and going around, and it's encompassing, and it's about this relationship between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit that is intertwined in such a way that it speaks to intimacy and oneness. A lot of the theology behind this comes out of John 17 and Jesus' prayer in verse 21 where he says that all of them, his prayer is that all of them be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe. There's that I'm in you, you in me. It's just this intertwining dance. It's crazy for me to think as this topic of head of impacts how we view Trinity and how we view the Trinity impacts headship. And so for me, I just go, what, what can we take away from here today? So what does it mean to be head of? That's a great question. What does it mean that the husband is the head of the wife? It's a lot of mystery. And whether you are behind the authority or behind the source or behind this perichoroesis, 
If you are one who believes that the head of has authority over his wife, yes, there's theology behind that. Stand on it and remember that there is so much more. Don't get stuck on authority. This is where the power of and comes in. Because there is good theology that says that being the head of is also the source. So maybe it's about authority and source. But don't get stuck there either because for me, I think there's a lot about intimacy and oneness. For me... Yeah, the husband is the head of the wife. You, let's talk authority. Yep, let's talk source. But the intimacy between a husband and a wife, that's the key for me. And all of this comes from, starts with, as we talked about context, God's original design. I've talked about this before, Genesis 2.18, the Lord God said, it is not good for a man to be alone, I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper, Hebrew word, azer, meaning help, nothing new there. The key here though is in the Psalms, God is described as an azer. Where does our azer, our help come from? It comes from the Lord. So, helper has nothing to do with authority. God has supreme authority. What is, he, what is he? He is our helper. Suitable or fit for. Kinegdo means in front of or facing. And Terry and I, I've talked about this, and this is the basis for our marriage retreats that we have done. The marriage relationship is face-to-face It's not side to side. It's not back to back. It's not even the man in front and the woman behind. It is face to face. And to me, that speaks intimacy. That speaks oneness. It's why Adam said in Genesis 2, 23 and 24, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why man leaves his father and mother, and he's united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Do you see the intimacy? Do you see the oneness? And remember, we're talking context. In the context, from the beginning, the relationship between the husband and wife is about oneness and intimacy. Interesting side note. Nowhere in the Bible, when talking about marriage, are the words leader, lead, leadership used. Nowhere. Now, you you can make it, you you can make the Bible say a husband's role is to lead, but I think there's more. But the key is whether the husband loves. Ephesians 5, Paul says, what to the husbands? He tells the wives to submit. Yes. That's a whole other conversation. But he tells the husbands, love. As I wrap it up here, a couple of questions for you. 
God is love. John 3.16, for God so loved. The greatest commandment is, Ephesians 5, husbands, love. Colossians 3.12, Paul says, compassionate hearts, kindness, meeknesses, bearing one another, forgiving one another, all important things to do in relationships. And then he says, above all these put on 1 Corinthians 12, 31, after Paul talks about the spiritual gifts and the body, he says, I'll show you a more excellent way. And then he moves into chapter 13, which is about, and the theme for me of this section is chapter 14, verse 1, where Paul says, pursue the story of God is a story of intimacy and oneness. We see it in the Trinity. It is seen in how God desires to relate to his creation. It is seen in the relationship between Christ and the church. For me, the metaphor of Christ is the head of every man, and the husband is the head of every wife, and God is the head of Christ speaks more about love and intimacy and oneness than it does anything else. Again, I remind you, there is good theology for authority. There's good theology for source. So I'm not throwing that stuff out. I'm just saying the weight of headship is love because God is Love. Let us stand and pray as we dismiss. I'm going to ask our prayer ministers to come forward. If you need prayer, they would be they would love to pray with you. Next week we're going to do part two of this conversation. Father, thank you that you are love. 